what is happening, Matt? Thanks so much for being here, brother. Thanks a lot, man. How you doing, Dakota? I am doing all right, sir. Technology is a pain in everyone's existence, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that, everybody. I had some more technical difficulties again. Nah, no one's gonna know. You know, this is pre-recorded, so they to them it's nothing. Yeah. That's stuff that happens in the background. No one knows it. It's, it's fun. Yeah, anyway, I mean, I had a lot of stuff going on too. The baby's kicking my ass right now. She's got me. I don't know what it is, man. Mom holds her, boom, she's out like a light, asleep. Dad holds her, wait, wait. I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, it should oh, yeah. be a little bit better than this, you know? Yeah, it'll get better eventually. <laughs> it did get immediately worse in the teenage years. <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking forward to those. I can always see it. I can already see it in my baby's face. I'm like, I'm gonna hate when you're a teenager. I'm not gonna oh, yeah. stand. <laughs> yep. How are you doing, sir? Good, busy, busy and tired. Uh, obviously, we're uh, growing by leaps and bounds, and we're trying to get a lot of stuff programmed for the users and, you know, the guys that can't necessarily use the platform right now because of pay PayPal restrictions. But really busy, really excited with what's coming down the pike. What What do you mean PayPal restrictions? What issue, what issue is that? Well... PayPal typically has a non-business accounts, a $60,000 transaction cap, which sounds like a lot, but we have a lot of people trying to use the site for high-end transactions. Little known fact though, if you were to contact PayPal, in particular, if you have a business account and do substantial business, you can get those limitations raised. Uh, they just don't really advertise it. As a matter of fact, they advertise the $60,000 cap. So it, it kind of seems like it, that's set in stone. It's not. Um, but also PayPal has over the last two or three years just kind of closed down a lot of accounts for, um, you know, a variety of different reasons. I think the majority of it spawns from, you know, the Razrums when they were huge on Facebook mm. um, and, you know, everything that entails. And then really they don't need a reason to shut down people's uh, accounts. Sometimes it's just guilt by association. A lot of good people have had their their long, you know, good in good standing PayPal accounts shut down basically for no reason. That's interesting. And when you say 60,000, is that per transaction or is that an annual transaction amount? No, no, no. That's per transaction. So if you're doing any sort of volume, buying, selling, um, even, you know, in a non-business account, mm. um, they, they cap that at $60,000. Mm. Um, business accounts, I believe, um, their initial cap is $100,000, depending upon your volume. But per transaction, they advertise a $60,000 cap, which obviously becomes a little inconvenient um, for a website like ours. Sure. A lot of people want to transact above that line. Yeah, especially I would think my slabs, you know, I actually have been noticing, I guess, realizing this. You know, when I'm talking about a $50 card, selling a $50 card, I don't, it's almost even money selling on my slabs or eBay, you know, just because I have to, as the, as the seller, I have to pay for shipping. But as you go up in price, I mean, it starts to add up quickly. Yeah. It's more and more in my slabs favor because those fees, you know, go away and the shipping doesn't obviously, it's immaterial at a $60,000 transaction, obviously. So yeah. yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Now there's a, there is a point. Um, going both ways where different platforms might make sense to any given, you know, seller, depending upon their fees and so forth and shipping costs and overhead. Um, 
we don't we don't really try to hide that you know everybody should be usually utilizing multiple platforms uh to maximize their mm -hmm. their earning potential really yeah i mean i mean every one of my grady cards is listed that i have listed for sale is listed on my slabs and it's just like you know if i have like a 300 dollars card listed right when i go to my slabs i do the math i'm like okay i have to put a discount on it you know i'm putting it at 10 percent under ebay price because i'm still going to make money listing at that low yeah. But then when I have a $50 card, I'm like, oh, I can't do that because I have to pay for the shipping and 10%, you know, of a $50 card is, is essentially shipping. So, yep. you know, yeah, it's just the math. A but, lot uh, of, oh, we have a lot of guys that seem to have mastered that um, lower end kind of shipping and all that. They, they, they have it like clockwork. They figure it into their prices and know what they can get away with. And yep. I guess to them, wherever it sells it doesn't matter to them as long as they're getting what they need to get out of it um a few bucks here and there on a sale like that may not mean the world to some of these guys but no it's there is a point sometimes where you kind of have to look around and if you're really really focused on every dollar make the best decision for yourself yeah i just mean like so if in the example of a 50 dollars card right if i listed on my slabs i would list it for 50 bucks if I list it on eBay, I would list it for 50 bucks plus $4 shipping. Yeah. So it's still, it's still cheaper on my slab. I mean, there's no question. It's just like, I, when you look at strictly the price of the card, it looks like I'm not really giving a discount or I'm not giving a discount or whatever, but it's because shipping's not tacked in on the back end. Right. So you have to account for that on the front end if you're a seller. Oh, we receive plenty of messages every week from buyers that are concerned that, uh, list prices are too high. And you kind of have to go back to them and say, well, you're not paying for this. You're not paying for mm -hmm. this. Yes, the list price might look identical to eBay. Right. You're paying less. It's it's really all kind of a numbers game, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was exactly my point. Like, I didn't think about it at first. It wasn't until maybe a couple of months ago it dawned on me, like, oh, under a certain threshold, it's around 50, 60 bucks. It's like you actually have to list the same price at eBay, but it's because you're, you're not charging yep. an additional you know fee for shipping yeah. Yep. so yeah it's kind of interesting well tell us a little bit about my my slabs and how it's been going it's been a while since you and ken came on the channel and uh you know the hobby's been through the ringer here the last few months but you all seem to have been doing well how you know how's it going yeah it's kind of full steam ahead for us um we still have a ton of updates in the works had to bulk up the customer service staff quite a bit and we're gonna have to again really soon because we're gonna roll out a different division i believe which i can't really get into right now but a oh, lot of okay, people okay. it's gonna it's gonna attract a lot of eyes a lot of new users and really kind of blow it up um so we're growing sales have been really healthy i think i kind of indicated last time i was on here that people have maybe gotten a little more conscious about the what they buy instead of going out and buying you know 10 prism based gems of any given right. player yeah um the the shit the sales clearly show that you know people are going for rarity now they're going for parallels the base craze isn't what it used to be i mean they're still selling but they're never it's never going to get back up to that you know 700 to a thousand dollar base for luca you know being up yeah. by I think the pop somewhere near twenty thousand right now for a PSA ten, nineteen thousand and change. Yeah, um, was it? 
him or Zion just passed 20,000 and a 10. I, I think Neo did a video. I forget. That but was, yeah, that, that was Zion. He, okay. he ran the numbers on. But then you have um, Acuna, Acuna rather, Tatis, Soto are all over 19,000 for their update base, uh, PSA 10. So those, those are some pretty big numbers. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that signals the, you know, overpopulation. Maybe it does. But it's all relative, really. You have to look at how many people want those cards. If there's 500,000 people that want those worldwide, that 20,000 20, number really isn't that large. You know? Right. Yeah. I agree. And I mean, that's always a question we don't know the answer to is what's the demand on that side yeah. of the scale. And with baseball, too, you look at, I mean, your options or tops or tops, you know, Chrome, whereas with basketball and football you've got prism select optic and then who knows what else out there that's also popular so they also just have a you know from a broader standpoint they have a i guess you have bowman and bowman chrome too though for baseball right but typically the the tops flagship rookies have been the chase if you're they started out as you know the beginner level and obviously they became extremely fluid back in 17 really took off in 18 with that rookie class um mm -hmm. So it's, I don't know, it's, our data shows that people are going for a little bit more expensive, but a little rarer. Um, so, I mean, that, that's kind of where we're at right now. We're selling the same volume of cards, just a little bit more expensive and a little bit better array, I'd say. A little hey, that's good for you. Yep. Yep. You know, based on, you know, the sale price. So that's good for y'all. Yeah, I've been saying that too, that in the last few interviews I've done or discussions I've had, I, you know, I've said like, you know, if you're looking at a card for 50 bucks, you're probably better off saving your money a little bit longer and trying to spend 150 on a similar card, but not a nicer one. You're, if, especially if it's for your collection, I think at the end of the day, you'll be happy, you know, saving up a little bit longer to buy the nicer card, the more rare card you know, for your collection. People always ask, you know, what should they buy? Buy what you can afford, first off. Don't don't overextend. Yeah. But if you have the ability to save up for maybe a different or a better parallel, I'd highly recommend doing that. You know, the, the rarer you get, the safer you are with your investment, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but some people kind of got to have that immediate gratification, right? If you have $50, you need to find that $50 card. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we've all been guilty of it at some point in our lives, right? Uh, you realize you have an extra five hundred bucks. You're gonna buy a card that day for five hundred bucks. You know, it's it, it's just the nature of people, I guess. A, I guess. I mean, you're saying the the average card being sold is nicer on my slides than it used to be. I guess. Does is there any? I'm gonna ask this by saying, you know, I'm gonna talk about patience because, like, I know, like at any point in my life in cards if i had a hundred dollars that i was going to spend on cards it was burning in my pocket it was going to be spent and right now you know i've got a few hundred bucks that i'm sitting on uh you know if I, and I'm, I'm actually actively looking to buy a card but i'm like you know nothing has really struck me yet i never had an issue but you know finding something i wanted to buy but right now i feel like i'm being very selective i mean do you think we're seeing that uh from your data on my slabs Yes. Yeah. And that just goes back to people aren't buying a ton of base cards. Um, even some of the like the retail parallels and prism mm -hmm. and so forth. Those are selling, but not at the same clip. I honestly think people are, you know, maybe saving up an extra week or two or not being so impulsive, 
before anytime anybody had a good game, you'd see like a massive influx of base card purchases, right? Mm-hmm. We're not seeing that necessarily. You still get base card purchases, but it'll be parallels, uh, even some of the lower end parallels. People are making a conscious effort to buy rarer, which is great. Um, I, I never got the base card parallel to each their own. I know they're extremely fluid and made people a ton of money. I just could never come home at the end of the day, want to look at cards and look through a stack of 20 to 30, you know, Soto base gems or Luca base gems. Just not my thing. I like to look at the cards. Mm-hmm. And um, well, let's just keep going with that. I know you shared with me you know, a picture of uh, what you've been buying. I don't know. Do you have uh, anything handy that you've been buying or uh, tell us I, what, what you've been interested in? I actually don't because, you know, I – I was off by an hour in this interview. I thought I had an extra hour. I have yeah. some, some raw cards, but they're like, uh, I don't know if you can see them. Oh, yeah. They're just like Rodman refractors and some lower end Jordan. Man, I love those. Uh, I don't have, I have the Kobe for that all star card. I love those cards. They don't get a lot of love, but I think it's a beautiful card. Yeah, the ultra abilities are gorgeous. And then I do a lot of 90s wax. So, a lot of people probably won't even know what these are. This is just Jake Plummer, but it's a legacy collection. You know, Jake this is when cards were rare. So, you know, that's numbered to 100. Is that Flair um, Showcase? Oh, yeah. that That's yeah. 97, I believe. 97, yeah. That's his rookie. 99, my bad. Oh, 99, um, yeah. But Justice, Tino Martinez, uh, legacy yeah. collection. Sorry, this legacy collection. Um, they're not impressive cards out of the box to a lot of people. But if the market is going to go where I think it's going to go in the, in the future, uh, obviously 90s cards and parallels are popular as it is. But uh, I, I think they're, you know, in particular with what Fanatics has planned, those are the cards for me that I'm going to be uh, kind of hoarding. Even the lower end stuff, like the, the secondary players, even though, you know, I guess any Yankee is a good yank, a good card. Well, yeah, let's talk about it. So the Legacy Collection, is that number to 100? Depends on which year, um, but yeah, like the Tino is. Um, that's Justice. I don't even know what that is, uh, but they should pretty much all be numbered to a hundred uh, or ninety-nine, depending upon the year. Um, but it, it's ninety-nine or a hundred. Then obviously the the masterpieces are one of ones. Now, why are you picking up Jake Plummer? That's what I want to know. Well, I buy a ton of wax, and I've mm. sat on a ton of wax from that era. So when I want to open something, it makes sense to me to buy to open a box I bought for a hundred bucks two years ago oh, rather than yeah. go out and drop, you know, five or six thousand on a pack. So I'll pull, you know, from time to time some decent little cards like that. Those are all box pulls. Um, Oh, that's uh, those are awesome! I can't believe you're ripping those. Are those one per box? The legacy? No, those are so much rarer. Yeah, I would think so. That's why I'm surprised that you ripped. Th- I mean, you've got three sitting there. That's crazy. I've actually subbed a stack recently too. Um, oh wow! I pulled a Ricky Williams rookie and uh, a Rod uh, '98 as well. Both Man. of them were '98, um, '97s. Uh, if I had pulled those back in 97, 99, whatever years they were, I would have been sitting pretty. Those were pr- probably the two biggest chase cards, you know, at that era. Yeah. I sat down with one box of baseball, one box of football that I had bought randomly, and I pulled those two out of it. Now, they're not worth anywhere near where they used to be. Um, 
but it's kind of funny to think they've been sitting there for 22 years or so. Those were the two cards you would have wanted back in 99. Like, there's no doubt about it. A-Rod and Ricky Williams' rookie legacy collection. It's, but it, yeah. I, I always tap into my uh, my stash and open stuff. To me, it's much funner opening that era than the stuff you see now anyway. And even those, to be honest with you, if I had seen these lower-end legacy collections at a show, I would have bought them anyway and slabbed them. There's there's always people putting those sets together, but that's that's what I prefer to do now. Don't get me wrong; I'd love to break a block, you know, a, a suitcase full of flawless, but that gets really expensive. <laughs> Heck yeah! Now walk us through a little bit what uh, you said. You know, you you think this stuff's going to be hot because of what Fanatics is doing is what they said they're going to do. Walk us through that that line of thinking a little bit. You know, how, how have you come to this conclusion? Okay, so obviously there's been a ton of information released by fanatics uh, kind of trickled out or people just, you know, guessing what's going to go on. From their initial game plan that was released, what they have, you know, coming down the store five, ten years when they start accumulating all of the, the player and the uh, league contracts. Um, you know, obviously they there's – no tops and no panini in the plans right now. I know they said they may acquire one or try for both. If that doesn't happen and, you know, they're going to push their own their own brands, I don't see that as a good thing. Um, you know, all the new collectors won't care. That, that'll be fine with them. But uh, everybody that's been in the industry for years might have a bit of an issue buying the new products, right? No continuity. Um, they've been doing this for you know, myself, I've been doing it for 35 years. I'm used to tops, upper deck, you know, Fleer. If there's no more tops or Panini, I'd imagine the people that are in my shoes uh, and, you know, the diehard collectors are going to kind of resort back to going back to the rarer stuff that they were familiar with, right? Yeah. 90s inserts and cards have pretty much always been hot, especially hot, you know, last winter. Um, but I can, I can see a huge uptick in that stuff if, you know, Fanatics does not provide any continuity and kind of just forces their product down everybody else's throat. I don't know that they're going to do that. They have plenty of time to figure it out, mm -hmm. but it, it is going to be the end of an era, you know, one way or the other. And I just kind of feel like the older stuff in particular, the numbered stuff, is going to carry huge premiums in the very near future. I could be 100% wrong. It just what I see, you know, envision happening. And when you're saying older, I mean you're talking about late 90s into the 2000s, right? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Really, the um, it wasn't a ton of numbered stuff before the mid 90s. Obviously, you had the early score uh, and upper deck autographs that were insanely numbered. You know. Yeah into the thousands, which by today's stretch is still rare, but all the original numbered stuff and the original parallels, some of the parallels that aren't numbered are extremely rare. I find a lot of guys searching by pack odds now, yep. in particular basketball. I've kind of always done that with baseball and football because it's 10% of the price of basketball. Mm -hmm. And back then all of these companies had, uh, League licenses, licenses to 
to create all the products. So you would have baseball, football, and basketball. You know, all the inserts would be the same across each product. Uh, Fleer, upper deck, you know, everything. So you can take a look at basketball inserts, see where they're at price-wise, then take a look at the same inserts for baseball and football, and they're just crazy low, just unbelievably low. I've been I've been all over that for I mean you, I think you probably know like football is my thing and like yep. if you there's like the planet metals if if you look at that in like basketball sure. awesome it's, set it's it's thousands of dollars for a Jordan or what I don't know maybe that's an exaggeration hundreds of dollars but you can go buy a, a night I think it's nineteen ninety nine planet metal Peyton Manning second year for like twenty bucks raw and I'm like okay I'll just take that all day it's a steal you know it's crazy yeah. the uh, well what really Kind of caught my attention a couple of years ago was specifically the manning and moss rookie year which was 98. Mm -hmm. their inserts compared to the basketball inserts that year and their hall of fame top tier rookies were just so cheap i mean ridiculously cheap you know the star dates um they were beautiful card the last couple psa 10 manning star dates i got were i want to say I stopped buying them because they jumped a while ago, but they were like seven or eight hundred bucks. You know, that that's insane. That that's criminally yeah. insane. And I've always been a believer of when people get priced out of one thing, the natural progression is to move on to the next. Yeah. And if something is that similar, even if it's a different sport, eventually it's gonna move price wise. Yeah. Those two in particular, you talked about it, Hall of Fame top tier. Top tiers are right. I mean, they're they're goats. They literally. I mean, Randy Moss is arguably the the second best wide receiver of all time. Peyton Manning's in the argument for top three quarterback of all time. Both are on TV. Both are do well on TV. And I mean, I just I don't understand. And then also when you look, they're both the '98 class, which gives I think that gives a little bit more umph to their cards. You also have Charles Woodson in that class, another you know top tier goat Hall of Famer at his yep. position, and. I I just agree with you 100% that the Manning stuff and people have been talking about Manning's Bowman and Randy Moss. You know, I think the nine or the ten, I mean, it's just dirt cheap. This stuff oh, yeah. is dirt cheap for, for who they are. And I look at refractors all the time on our website. Um, mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, you can still buy 98. If you take a look at Tom Brady's rookie year, obviously that's Tom Brady, but any of his single boxes are going to be thousands and thousands of dollars, just ridiculously mm -hmm. high. You can go on my slabs, I know for a fact, probably eBay, and pick up a box of like 98 Flare, which has some serious, serious inserts in it. And obviously it's the Moss Manning Woodson rookie year. You can get a box for like 800 to 1,000 bucks. And that sounds like a ton of money, mm -hmm. but they're typically loaded. Flare back then was just an awesome product. And even if you just sit on it, even if you just want to sit on it, you know, those boxes have dried up. I had a bunch of them. I actually opened them a couple months ago uh, and sold some out at the Wisconsin Dells show. I couldn't keep that stuff stocked. I didn't sell very many slabbed cards because everybody wanted the, mm. the old school wax I had brought. It was insane. Yeah, I, there's I feel like, um, you know, whatever. I'm about 10 years younger than most of the guys who have come back from into the hobby. and I think we see with this, you know, the last two years, the explosion. Obviously, you have the ultra modern stuff, but there's a huge explosion in 80s, in, you know, late 80s, and then specifically in 90s cards. And I think that as we move forward, you know, a lot of what I'm buying is in the 2000s. I think that as we move forward, that late 90s, 
early to mid 2000s is really going to get a lot more love. It was, you know, zooming out now and looking at it, it was really a different time in the hobby. There was a lot of experimentation and things that, you know, were happening because you had a lot of competition with Upper Deck, Fleer was still in the, or Donners was still in the business, Tops. Yep. Um, and so I just think there was a lot of really nice, well-made cards during that era that people really sleep on and forget. And Flair Showcase, you want, you know, it's my favorite product. You either know or you don't know, right? You either know that is an amazing product or you have no idea it exists. And I, I think that's holding the prices down a little bit. Uh, I mean, I don't even know. I just opened a box of 98 Flair baseball, hoping to pull this. It's not a crazy expensive card. David Ortiz, Wave of the Future Rookie. I forget what they're going for in a PSA 10. Probably like 800 bucks right now. Mm -hmm. But if nothing else, they're just a fun, fun rip. And to be completely honest with you, basketball obviously has dominated pricing forever. But even a lot of the basketball stuff from that era is criminally undervalued compared to Jordan, Kobe, uh, Duncan to an extent, Shaquille O'Neal. I just bought what I thought was just an insane deal on site. Uh, somebody listed a 99 soul of the game, Kevin Garnett, PSA 10. I had bought a Jeter recently because I really wanted it. It was like a pop, I want to say 22 when Jordan is, you know, in the 90s. Jeter was, I, I thought was cheap. I wanted that just to kind of hold on to. I got the Garnett and it's a pop five for 300 bucks. Dang. That, that to me just seems so, so cheap. I mean, you could, Garnett overall is extremely cheap. All those inserts and rookies. I have about 30 in my watch list on my slabs. Uh, but Soul of the Game is kind of an I iconic insert. 300 bucks for a pop five. You, I mean, it just seems. Oh, no. Yeah, that's insane. And then just, you know, to your point, it's funny enough about, I don't know, maybe a year ago, I actually bought a lot of those for baseball cards, uh, not tens, you know, just raw cards. Cause I'm like, you know, what does a raw coat Jordan go for? I have no idea. It's a ton of money for that soul of the game, but you could, I was buying a rods for $2. I'm like, that seems like a good deal. You know, I don't know. I mean, so like you said, it's an iconic insert. If there's, and if you look at the pop reports, um, if you're kind of into that thing, there's a lot of cards in those sets that have popped zeros because none have ever been subbed. You know, nobody wants to sub the worth. I don't want to say worthless because that's kind of harsh, but the guys that aren't really that popular. Right. I'd imagine, though, if you have one of these guys, like I think Latrell Sprewell might be in that set as a pop zero. I forget. But if you have the first one, a pop one, of one any one of these inserts and any one of these sets, you you can probably fetch some pretty decent money. I've wanted to accumulate just you know stacks of not so much the rarer ones, but the ones you can find easily, you know, card shows, eBay, uh, in the Facebook forums, and just kind of hoard them and sub them at some point to see if you can get that pop one. Yeah, no, that's pretty smart. I mean, because especially i think for that 90s insert because i do think set collecting's kind of out the window you may see it here or there but yeah. i do think 90 insert sets specifically because it's a much shorter check or you're looking at 20 players and it's like well i could see somebody wanting to put that together especially if they have the big ones if they got michael jordan and kobe then the rest is you know easy money to put together oh yeah i'm in a couple of the 90 insert rooms the rarer 90 insert rooms on facebook mm-hmm uh, with the like the real diehard guys that have stuff you've just never seen and wouldn't remember. Um, even myself, I see something new every day in there. 
and there's always guys, a handful every day, looking to complete insert sets. Yeah. And it's it's everything from, you know, stuff that was easily packed pulled to some of the rarest stuff you'll ever see. Those guys are really into that, and I'm I'm surprised looking in pop reports at the amount of pop zeros are across the board in some of these sets. Yep. And uh, I want to give a little bit of credit where it's due. You know, Paul, his buddy, comes on the channel every once in a while. He's been all over that. Peyton, he's been hitting me up in Discord for the last two months now saying, Peyton Manning, specifically Peyton Manning and Randy Moss inserts, it's ridiculous how slept on they are. And he actually, we bought a lot together. We paid 30 bucks for two PSA 8. It's like Upper Deck Onyx or something. Peyton Manning, beautiful freaking card. Somehow they are like a PSA 7 or something. I don't know. But it's just like. The card doesn't exist. Good luck finding it out in the wild. And, you know, even in that condition, like, I, I don't know, man. It's just so slept on all these inserts and these various, uh, you know, there's really a lot of nice cards during that era that people just don't know exist or don't care that, it, that they exist. Well, if you ever pick up a box of flair from 96, 97, 98, 99, and just turn it over on the side for the, the list of inserts, it's so awesome. And again, not to beat a dead horse, but 98 Flair football has just some of the coolest stuff like Destination Hawaii where Peyton Manning was in there. Uh, it's a really cool little insert, super low pop, and you can pick it up around 1200 bucks for a PSA 10, I think, maybe 1400 yeah. now. It, it's just nuts. Those baseball, football inserts, and a lot of the Hall of Fame players don't get a ton of love. And I think the natural tendency of the market is to reward those players at some point in time. Yep. I agree. You know, one, you, you showed him, uh, David Ortiz. I've been trying to buy a couple of David Ortiz rookies because I want one. I've always liked Ortiz. I can't help it. Um, I, I would like one for the collection and then maybe to hold on to one for when he does haul, um, to sell maybe, but, um, yeah, I, I had I don't know that I seen that one. I had my eyes set on like his SP authentic rookie, but that one seems pretty sweet too. I like the one that you showed there. I actually just sold a few rarer ones. I wish I had known. I had like a 98 Bowman Chrome Refractor. Oh, my goodness. Uh, a, a really, really, if you're not from that era, most people wouldn't know, but there was a, a set called Crusades, and it has some of the most beautiful refractors and variations you'll ever see from purple, green. Actually, um, Panini Crusade put in a Crusades um, insert back in like 2012, 2013. Those are based on the sets from like 98 and they're just phenomenally beautiful. Um, and I had a, an Ortiz rookie purple, one of those, um, my favorite set, but unless you're one of those diehard nineties guy, most people would look at it and have no idea what they're looking at. I have to say, you know, as much shit as we all, to some degree, another gift Panini, the more I real, the more I look back, especially as I'm buying this stuff from the late '90s and remembering this stuff, Panini. A lot of their stuff is rebranded '90s product, and it's actually pretty smart. I mean, even Prism. Prism was a set in the late '90s, and it was an awesome set. It was a foil set, which you know you may look at and think is Chrome, and I do think that they took some of the design work from there. Another one is Revolution. Revolution was an awesome set from the late '90s. And, you know, now there's a Panini revolution. And to me, when you look at the design of the cards and the colors that they use, I'm like, they're definitely just ripping from the late <laughs> 90s revolution, you know? Well, it's uh, it's clever marketing. I mean, because some of the designs are timeless, so to speak. 
Yeah. But you're also pulling at the heartstrings of the guys that went through that era. Um, I bought cases of 2012, 2013, and 2013, 2014 Crusades basketball mm -hmm. uh, because I absolutely loved the Crusades from 98. And I, I really like Giannis. So I was trying to pull Giannis parallels. Um, then I got smart and just left the cases sealed and sold them when they spiked. But I have a couple Giannis purples. They're numbered to 50. It's obviously low pop. Um, just beautiful, beautiful cards. They don't get the love of the rest of his rookies. I, you know, I don't know why, because they're yeah. phenomenal looking cards. But they're still, they've appreciated it decent, just not like the rest of the stuff, not like Prism. This, uh, this might be a hard question to answer. Maybe it's a shitty question to throw out here. But how, how do you enjoy your collection? I mean, you've talked about some really nice cards. And I mean, are they displayed somewhere? Do you routinely just go through them? How do you enjoy the cards in your collection? Well, I have a lot less time than I used to, free time. Um, Fair enough. Which is the website, obviously. I love looking at cards. I mean, I don't care if it's a stack of 80s commons, um, mm -hmm. 70s semi-stars. I love cards. I'm a diehard vintage guy. Always loved it. To me, that's like artwork. Um, but if I get a chance, I'll just take a case out and kind of paw, paw through the stuff. Um, sometimes I'll scroll through my My Slabs kind of collection yeah. to see, you know, because the pictures there are pretty nice. Um, but I, I just like taking them out and looking at them. And it, uh, my nephew's, uh, I mean, he's kind of relaxed lately because he's, he's just getting into high school. But he was huge into cards for a while, and it seems mm -hmm. like he's kind of teetering on coming back, you know, hardcore. I gave him some 90s boxes to open the other day, and he was just, you know, thrilled with it. Mm -hmm. um, I would take him out anytime he wanted to see anything, or if he wanted to show me his cards, because he's got quite a decent little collection we've built for him over the years. Mm -hmm. um, really, it doesn't take much for me to just take out cards and look at them. It's just unfortunate I don't have the time to do that a lot. You know, in the last couple of years, I feel you there. Do you have any sitting on your desk, like on a display, or like anything in front of you? No, I mean I have a lower end '90s sub from SGC that's been sitting here that I have not had time to list on site. Um, but it's all like '90s inserts, uh, stuff like just stuff I got out of box breaks. You know, this Dang, is a dumb that is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it looks cool. The thing is, these were fairly common cards, so nobody subbed them. Yeah. So the Reggie Re Reggie White Hobby Masters is a pop one, you know, mm -hmm. and across the board in any yeah. any grading company. But then, like, I loved Select Certified. So. Oh yeah. Awesome. Just gorgeous cards. You can't see it, but it actually has his his thumbprint, you know, at, on display on the card. Stuff like this. The metal universe. Oh man, look at that card. I hate Big Hurt, but that's all right. <laughs> well, uh, I I liked him obviously growing up because I wasn't a big fan of PED users. Um, so the guys that I thought were clean, I tended to gravitate towards. Um, but that's that's probably all you'll ever find on my my desk is stuff I just haven't put away. Yeah, uh, it's fair enough. 
you know, well, on Big Hurt, he always overshadowed Bagwell. That's why I hated Big Hurt. But uh, and of course, it'll always be like Jordan inserts. Oh man, um, look at these that. are these are just low dollar inserts. But you know, to anybody that's kind of uh, that's a super boss. I wish it came out a little bit better. Um, yeah. Because that's a little bit rarer than the boss, obviously. Yep. But I mean, you can still make money off of '90s cards if they aren't in spectacular condition. The market has ticked up quite a bit on those. Um, I think people have recognized that a lot of that stuff is underappreciated, and it's still mm -hmm. what I like to call ground level. But I'm having a lot of success when I have time to list the stuff. Just kind of. Uh, Listing it at a price I'm I'm comfortable with, and letting the offers come in. Like I sold a Van Horn, raised the roof the other day, which is a, a fairly sought after set basketball. Um, Van Horn isn't you know a top tier player, but he has a couple couple cult followers. They were numbered to 100, really desirable set. I picked it up at a show for 300 bucks. I just got it graded. Came back in SGC 85. I sold it for 700 bucks two days Dang. ago on That's my it, It's an 8.5. You know, I wasn't expecting anything spectacular. It had a few surface scratches. But there's a lot of value there if you kind of study up a little bit and know what you're looking for. I mean, these I bought a whole bunch of 90s inserts off this, uh, this duo at, at the last Boston show, and it, it seemed like nobody wanted to look at the cards. They were right there, beautiful, shining in the front row. I walked up and, you know, they were more than happy to sell. So, yeah, that stuff, you know, like we talked about the Flare Showcase stuff, either you know or you don't know. And that drives a lot of people kind of away from the cards because they don't know. But if you, a little bit of research, a little bit of digging, you know, you can find, and maybe that makes it even more fun because it's more of a chase because you're like, I know that these are good cards and everybody walking past it, you know, they don't really understand it because they haven't really done their research on it. No, it's, a, it's definitely fun. I know a lot of people are just interested in the flip. They don't care about, you know, the history of the cards, you mm -hmm. know, no interest, right? To me, I love learning about cards, see where they've come from, see where they're going, um, be able to help people out if they're looking at something at a show and not exactly sure, you know? It, it's, I hate to be corny, but knowledge really is kind of power in this industry, right? If you're just following the leader and not kind of, carving out your own path you're always going to be limited by the guy in front of your success yeah absolutely and uh since you're kind of in this space and what we're, is, we're talking about this you know you talked about van horn what about uh let me ask you two guys do they have strong markets uh two guys i've been looking to buy but i haven't pulled the trigger because i feel like the cards are a little bit overpriced for what they ended up being uh jason williams and stefan marbury those are two guys i think they're pretty cool you feel like they have strong markets in the late 90s there uh which jason williams what is he white chocolate, white chocolate? If it's white yeah. chocolate he he also has a cult following uh he has some really really cool cards he is not the super sought after guy like and i think that's kind of a good thing yeah. especially if you're looking to chase him because until you get into to that ultra ultra rare stuff um where people you know will pay anything for it regardless of the player um you can probably accumulate a really nice collection on a budget and 
you know, wait and flip that at some point, if that's what you choose to do, or if you're just looking for something to put together for fun, that's very affordable. Stefan Marbury, I've found that people don't really care for. I don't know if it was the attitude while he was playing or the, you know, the, how many teams he's played for. He was an incredible player. Let's face it. He, he oh, was yeah. amazing. But for whatever reason, card-wise, it, it just never took off for him. I mean, you could pick up exqu- exquisite patch autos of his relatively cheap. Uh, and that's kind of the pinnacle. I wonder, too, because like with Stefan, like he had a really good career in China. And everyone tells me China's driving the basketball market up. I don't know if I believe it, but I'm just saying his stuff's pretty cheap still. Well, the, you know, the, the basketball market in Asia is obviously huge. Um, I'd venture to say it's bigger than ours by quite a bit. Dang, uh, you think the, the NBA card market is bigger in Asia? I do. I do. Uh, wow. A lot of the... A lot of the guys with the absolute elite collections, like the cards you do not see, are from over there. Uh, It's just nuts. It kind of always has been. I think it started Hmm. way back when the original Dream Team was over there. Um, But there is just some monster, monster collections. Um, We have quite a a large uh, international membership, obviously, on my slabs. Sure. And a lot of those guys come from over there and they're using ship my cards as, uh, you know, they're kind of in between, but that market is huge, man. Absolutely huge. Well, there you go. Straight from the horse's mouth. Maybe I should believe it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, cause we talk about the different market sizes and basketball is just so big. And it's like, why is basketball so big? You know, it's not that big when you look at viewership compared to the NFL, you know, uh, at least, I mean, nationally. And everyone's well, just overseas, so it, it it really is worldwide. Basketball, first of all, the football market doesn't make any sense to me. It's modern footballs, uh, excuse me, modern quarterbacks or bust, mm-hmm. and even the old stuff like the greats, nineties. Football is supposed to be the most second most popular. Is college football the most popular in America now? I would it's, think that right now. I mean, at least, well, look, I don't know about college football, but at least when you look at viewership, the NFL exploded this year. I mean, people are hungry for pro football. There's no question. They're either 1A or 1B. I thought I had read that it was college football than NFL. Either way, it's obviously a more popular sport to watch in America. Mm-hmm. Basketball worldwide, it, there's no contest there. It's just... It absolutely dominates, but I still don't understand why football is so low. If we love football so much, start buying football cards other hey, than quarterbacks. That's that's what I'm doing. That I'm just like, all right, you know, I'm I'm tired of saying this doesn't make sense and they're not doing anything. So I basically am exclusively buying football right now, whether it's for a collection or otherwise. I mean, it's I mean, I'm basically just buying football. I mean, even like I don't know, man. Well, I mean, here's a Russell Wilson. That's a Topps Gold. It's 80 bucks, you know? And I'm like, it's numbered to 2012. This one was in great condition. It was raw, and uh, obviously it's raw. But uh, I don't know. Stuff like that to me, just it it doesn't make any sense. I can't even imagine who would be a good comp. Maybe I I guess Steph Curry, you know, his Topps Gold. I mean, how many thousands of dollars are we talking about, you know, at that point? Yeah, it's it's, people get a little too – I shouldn't say that because it's Tom Brady, but – they look at Tom Brady than everything else. Um, Patrick Mahomes obviously got a ton of love, and then people were ready to jump off that bridge because he had a couple bad games. Yep. Uh, it, it's just crazy. And I get 
modern football. The seasons are extremely short, and any injury can absolutely kill a season or stats or whatever. But Russell Wilson has been in the league, what is it, 2012? Yep, you know, a decade. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's really not as expensive as he should be. I mean, it's just it's nuts. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, people underestimate how good Russell Wilson is. If you looked at Russell Wilson's career, he's, I mean, probably in an argument, top 10 quarterback of all time. And people are going to roast me and say that's not true, but it is. I'm telling you, he's, it's phenomenal. And then, well, you know, when you hear about these guys in the sports, there's three guys who stand above the rest taking care of their body. It's LeBron, Brady, and Russell Wilson. And so when Russell Wilson's only got 10 years in the league and, you know, you see how long Brady's been in, Russ has another 10, 15 years in the league because he's taking care of his body at the same level that those two guys are. Uh, it's, it's nuts. The pricing doesn't make sense. And then, you know, you, I saw people actively promoting buying Derek Carr this year and, and, you know, last year. And I'm like, the guy is, what, 32 years old. He's never done anything career-wise. Collectability-wise, unless you're just trying to PC him, like investment-wise, that ship sailed a long time ago. And if you're willing to spend money on him, for you know, for example, why would you not buy like Russell Wilson? The guy's going to the Hall of Fame. He's a phenomenal quarterback, and he has, still has plenty of career left. Yeah, and Russ's prices have absolutely tanked. Now, look, I'll buy me a Derek Carr Tops Chrome for two bucks. If I can get one raw for two bucks, I'll pick that up all day, or a refractor for 10 bucks raw. You know, it just a, you know, it's like a scratch off ticket, I guess. But I mean, yeah, I, it, how many times do you see like these second or third string quarterbacks that, that have been in the league for five years have a, a great game and people rush out to buy these guys? Taylor like, Heineke. It's crazy. I mean, what are people doing? Come on. I mean, I get it to a certain extent, I guess, but there's only going to be a small window there. You're, you're obviously buying to flip. There's only going to be a small window there. And there's probably only a little bit of magic left in whatever tank that, yeah. that person has. It's, I, I don't know. I mean, we're dealing in the most irrational market in the world. There's nothing like it, right? I guess trying to make sense of it is, you know, futile, but I don't I, know. I would, I would say, actually, I think a lot of people don't buy to flip. Like when you look at Taylor Heineke, I was on uh, Twitter when his first game back, you know, the season and he blew up. And I saw, I forget, maybe JB Card, somebody bought him. And he's, it turns out he's a big Heineke fan. And so he bought it like his 2015 National Treasures rookie. And I'm like, God, that's not the play. Like you're a long-term collector on Heineke because he, he liked him in college, I think. So I'm like, you don't buy it now. Like now's the worst time. I love Case Keenum. U of H guy, go Cougs, you know, played for the Texans. You know, he's had a good NFL career. When he played well for the Browns, his cards looked spiked up. And I looked at him and I'm like, what am I doing? Don't be stupid. Buy yeah. him in three weeks. No one will remember that he was even in the NFL. Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And so, I, I just go by what I see. I, you know, I predominantly am on Facebook. I don't do a ton of tw on Twitter um, just because I don't have time. But I, I see all these people every time any player has, has any sort of, you know, it, it's just nuts. Any sort of recognition everybody runs out to buy. Um, that's not necessarily the best strategy. What Speaking of this, and this guy's in, in this boat, uh, do you believe in this resurgence, or is this a fluke, Cam Newton? I'm from New England, so uh, no. I Cam had a couple great years, obviously. He was very dynamic early in his mm -hmm. career. Um, and to a fault, he took a lot of hits. 
because he was willing to. He put his body on the line. I've never really believed in him as a passer, uh, in particular if that has to be your primary, you know, weapon. Yep. I think it. You know, he had a great game. He had a nice. Well, he had a nice second game too. He's right? had two good games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first one with you know <laughs> the pulling off the helmet. That's kind of what sticks out the most. Um, as far as investing, that wouldn't be for me. I think he's also 32, 32 or 33. Yeah, Actually, he's a 20 – don't quote me. I think he's 2011 rookie. He might be 2010. Yeah. So you're I looking think, at, yeah, 32-ish. You know, I think it was 2011. I remember the triple threads opening cases. It was yeah. him, Andrew Luck, and RG3. Um, well, they're, well, Luck and RG3 is 2012. They're the same year as Russ. All right, maybe maybe that I thought I saw I thought I had a triple autograph uh, patch of them that I thought was all rookies. You could be wrong; it was a long time ago. Uh, but either way, he he's old in terms of NFL years. Um, yeah, I don't see a lot of upside there as far as buying into him. If you like him, you like him. Buy, you know, maybe there's a nice little spike in there for you somewhere, um, but. From what I understand, Carolina's Carolina's fan base too, as far as the people that are down there, um, are kind of implants from all over. Mm. I have a friend that lives down there, and he said you go to any given game, and you might see a third to a half jerseys from the other team, just because sure. there's a lot of transplants from other parts of the country. So I don't I don't know how strong that market is going to be for him. No, yeah, everything you said makes sense because I've never been that big on Cam as a passer. Um, the fact that New England was willing to retain him, you know, prior to the season starting to me was a, a good, like a vote of confidence in him. But the big thing is he's got this, you know, huge body athleticism and he abused it. He didn't, you know, it, it seems like he did not properly develop his passing game. Yep. And over time, that's not going to age well. And I mean, we already see that it's not aging well. And I mean, yeah, he had two great games coming back for Carolina, but it's kind of fluky and, you know, it's, He's clear think, he's not the best passer, you know, probably at least half the time he's on the field. If you look at the mechanics, I don't think anybody can argue it's not your typical throwing pattern. And I saw some really, really bad throws while he was up in, you know, New England last year. I'm surprised he got the contract he did. Good for him. But, you know, it's he, he was never my first choice for an investment anyway. He's definitely not going to be now. Yeah. What do you think about uh, Josh Allen long term? Eh, maybe not from an event. I mean, we're just talking about styles because, you know, he's got that big body and he can rely on his athleticism, though. I think he's kind of tuned that out. But I mean, what do you think about Josh Allen? Love him as a player, but he needs a little more protection. And he when I mean, he doesn't have that ice water yet. Right. Mm. When things are going good, he's great. When things aren't going good, you know, he's he makes a lot, a lot of careless errors. Um, some of them aren't always his fault. You know, the offensive line breaks down. Long term, he's got a cannon for an arm. He, he's, you know, decent deep. The Buffalo should be decent, and I think they'll stack players around him. You know, um, what New England's doing right now as far as, you know, with Cam Newton, uh, excuse me, Cam Newton, Mac Jones <coughs> is a little shocking. I don't know if that's sustainable. <laughs> Uh, a little shocking. <laughs> well, I got to be careful what I say. I have a lot of. I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, to me, if they put a couple more players around Josh Allen, that's your perennial favorite every year. Um, 
I think New England has a ways to go, and Mac's going to have to develop a little more. I do like what I see from him, but it's, I mean, he's a rookie. He's, he's out of build, he's, right? You know, he's the most, one of the most polished rookies that we've seen in a long time. Maybe, you know, uh, ever you could maybe argue, I don't know. You know, the concern with him, and it was the concern in the draft, was the ceiling. You know, is yeah. he going to be able to be, you know, five years from now, is he going to be able to go to toe to toe with the Mahomes, uh, Lamar? Josh Allen and beat them, you know, with his arm. Well, I also think that Belichick is kind of unnecessarily protecting him as well, not really letting the the leash go, so to speak. But you know, taking off the chains because there are a lot of plays, in particular earlier in the season in the red zone, that just made you, you know, kind of scratch your head. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was not allowed to throw it for a while. It was, you know, bad. That's loosened up a little bit, but for whatever reason, and you know. Bill's a better, you know, I'll ever be. Not going to judge um, his uh, decisions here, huh? <laughs> he, he's he's slow rolling the growth. Maybe maybe that's the best thing for him. Um, I think he's Mac Jones is going to be a good player for a while. Just if Josh Allen has a team around him, I don't really think there's a comparison in the two teams for the foreseeable future. I happen to be a big Josh Allen fan. Oh, yeah, same. I mean, well, I can't say big. I do like Josh Allen. I also, you know, I think we, you didn't mention him, but Matt Nagy, I think he's an important part of that equation as well. He seems to be, I can't say an A-tier level coach. He does seem to be a, a strong B-tier level coach, though. Yep. And I think that's that's probably important. What about, let me ask you this, and this is way off. We're going way off line here, but if Kirk Cousins was a Patriot, how good are the Patriots this year? I don't know. It's kind of tough to project, right? Because you're talking about a completely different game plan. I mean, it's easy to say, all right, well, we're seven and four right now or whatever we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Kirk Cousins, we'd be eight and three or nine and two. The game plans aren't the same. I mean, it, it just, it, it wouldn't be, I don't know. I, I like it. It's tough to answer something like that. I think we'd probably be right around where we are. Um, we lost a couple in the beginning of the year. We really should have won. Uh, maybe with Kirk Cousins, that would have been, you know, kind of flipped around. Yeah. And the lo- the wins, you know, who knows? I like a. I do think. I think this was probably the best year of GMing we've seen out of Belichick in a long time. You know, whether going into the season, whether your quarterback is going to be some rookie, you know, during because during free agency they didn't know who the quarterback was. I don't think. Or if it's going to be Cam Newton, you knew you needed to give them some weapons because they just—I mean, there was no weapons for Tom for forever. And I think getting uh, Hunter Henry and Johnu Smith were just phenomenal signings because that's really going to, you know, make a lot of easy throws for either your rookie quarterback or your veteran quarterback who needs some help. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, he, let's face it, this year he, he switched it up, you know, drastically from what he's always done. They spent more money on free agency than they ever have. Uh, I honestly think the Cam Newton thing was a ploy and they knew which way they were going the whole time. Just typical New England BS, like kind of making everybody look one way. I think they knew they were using Mac um, for at least a lot longer than they let on. Um, but Bill, the GM, obviously, over the last five years has not done a great job. Even at the beginning of this year, it looked a little shaky, right? I mean, the yeah. the record wasn't great, and people were questioning him. Um, now the quarterbacks come on a little bit, and the defense is tightened up, and he looks like a genius again. So 
he did a great great job this year. Uh, I think that's probably a good thing because he spent a ton of money. It's pretty amazing. The defense is really looking like a classic Bills or a Patriots defense, you know, Bill Belichick's defense. Yep. And y'all lost Gilmore. You know, Gilmore is out in, in Carolina now. So it's pretty yep. amazing. No, no, it, it does. They've they've come together over the last couple of weeks and they're scary. They're just absolutely scary. So it'll be interesting. Um, we get a lot of people around here that think we're winning the Super Bowl. We're not going to be doing that. Just kind of calm down. <laughs> you know, it's uh, not going to happen. It's not Brady 2.0. Uh, I, uh, I mean, I could see Bill just completely out coaching. Like if you go to the playoffs and you play Buffalo, I could see Bill just out coaching Josh Allen's ability to perform and you winning basically on defense. It's hard for me to see Bill doing that against Mahomes and the Chiefs, though. It's a little bit harder for me. And even the Ravens, it would be difficult just because Lamar is so dynamic. If you're banking on your defense, um, I think you're in trouble because obviously you have to score points and there's going to be injuries. There's going to be somebody, you know, barring some anomaly. You're going to lose a couple players here in the in the rest of the year due to injury. That's just the way it is. Something's going to be disrupted. Um, you know, I don't. If they make the playoffs this year, I would say that's a, a win for Belichick and a win for New England and all of New England's fans. Um, but we have some pretty irrational fans up here. You may know that. <laughs> High <laughs> expectations. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, some people, <laughs> depending upon what radio station or what TV program you have on any given day, it's a constant comparison to Tom Brady and how he's already like him. I'm like, come on, guys, really? You're setting the kid up for like failure and to take a lot of lot of grief when he isn't Tom Brady. Just let the kid grow naturally. Tom, I mean, Tom Brady. You know, as we look back, he ends up having the biggest chip on his shoulder and the biggest drive out of potentially any athlete in the history of you know American sports. I mean, Jordan had the same thing, I guess, with the chip on the shoulder. Yep. And I mean, you're just not going to replicate that with Mac Jones, who was, you know, quarterback or Alabama drafted in the first round. You know, he's just not going to have the same level feeling of disrespect in his gut. And uh, it's just not going to drive. You know, he's not going to be as driven as Brady. It so, is. I mean, you can still be a Hall of Fame all time great quarterback, you know, without that chip. But uh, I don't think you can be Brady without it. It's going to be tough. It's two totally. I mean, it's fairly recent, but it's two totally different generations as far as. Uh, you know, athletes and individuals coming out in these classes. It, it's just, if you're a top 10 prospect now or a top 10 draftee in any given sport, you're already set for life unless you do something stupid, right? I mean, and chances are, if you're, if you're basketball, you've been, you've gone through the AAU system and been told basically you're the greatest for your entire career thus far. Yeah. Um, football, you know, same thing top 10 quarterback, you're set, you know, you've been great for quite a long time. Um, and now that, you know, college athletes can have endorsements and get paid and do all this other stuff. Money. I don't know to your point that you're going to have that sort of uh, drive or engine or, you know, chip on your shoulder moving forward. Maybe you have another, you know, drafty at 298 or whatever it is, 300, 305 that, you know, feels he was great and was passed over in college. And, you know, I just don't see that they'll have that success. 
Yeah. I mean, depending on the personality, you could still have it. I mean, Rogers, Aaron Rodgers has, you know, he has to go to a junior college. No one's willing to sign him at a big college. He finally gets an UCLA. Then, you know, he falls in the draft in 2005. My stupid ass Texans took some defensive tackle or some nonsense. I don't know why they did that, but, you know, we could have Aaron Rodgers. It's fine. whatever. I mean, I'm not salty about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think when the right personality comes along and, and just the exact right circumstance, you know, it can happen. But, and then, you know, he's got to sit in Green Bay for three years, which he probably didn't enjoy that much. So, yeah. And five was less than courteous to him. Uh, yeah. From what I gather. I, I am happy to hear. I've, over the last year or two, I've heard quite a bit about they've grown a lot closer, which makes me happy because I always like both guys. So well, I like to hear that, you know. Well, I I always liked Favre growing mm -hmm. up. My father was a Steelers and a, a Green Bay fan. So I obviously watched a lot of those games. I loved Favre. I hated him when we played him in the Super Bowl. Uh, but I like that old style of play too, just the, the old school gunner. Uh, Chuck it for 400 yards a game, take your hits type of thing. And when Aaron Rodgers came in and he kind of treated him the way he did, I, it really bothered me. It, it, it kind of lost a lot of respect in my eyes that, you know, it wasn't Aaron Rodgers who, who drafted yeah. him. You know, it was Green Bay, and he has to be smart enough to know there's an expiration date on his career. I mean, I know it sucks looking at the next guy in line when you're an icon like that. But really, some of the things that were said or done or not said, just kind of unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, looking back now, you realize that Favre had another five to six good years in him. And so maybe he's got that chip on him. And I think that, I don't know, whatever. They've worked out to some degree. I think Favre realized he probably made a mistake. And I think that's, I think they bonded because Jordan, the Jordan Love situation. And, you know, I think Favre is probably like, I wish I wouldn't have done these things and, you know, kind of help. Because Rodgers. I mean, really, I mean, we all know he was upset last year about Jordan Love and all that, but by all accounts, he's been good to Jordan Love. No, I mean, no one has come out and said he treats him bad, you know, like Favre did Rodgers. Yeah, yeah I, I think Aaron Rodgers has walked a real fine line with that. Like, he's smart enough to know that he has an expiration date, mm -hmm. but he – most people think he's a jerk already. <laughs> I mean <laughs> – Look at his hair. The guy is a jerk. I mean, there's no <laughs> it's just across like such a dick sometimes. And yeah. I like him because he plays that old school kind of quarterback. But just so I think he's kind of been um, cautious about how he's approached the Jordan Love thing. And from all accounts, Jordan Love's a really good kid, so it might be tough to be rude to him. But yeah, and I, I think just for the for his own kind of you know image, he's taking it easy on him. And I mean, Rodgers, similar to Favre. I mean, you have to think he's got another five to six years in him. I mean, minimum. Now, I mean, you guys are playing. You know, Brady's 45 and looks, you know, he looks better than he's ever looked in his career at 45. It's well, crazy. If you look at Rodgers' play this year, there's no decline there, at least no significant decline. I mean, it doesn't look like that's going to stop. Like you said, five or six years, I would think minimum. I mean, he's into that whole holistic healing and everything else, too. So, Apparently, that's a lot better for your body. Um, he could have a significant chunk of his career left. Well, it's funny enough. My last conversation I had on uh, Will, he's a member of the community here, and he uh, he's a doctor, it turns out. And he was talking about flexibility is a key part of, like, aging well and, you know, stretching and things like that. And it's so funny because, of course, that's what Tom Brady's known for. He's known – it's known that he moved off of strength and speed training into flexibility – and uh, uh, well, I guess flexibility training 
yeah. more yoga and that's obviously done well so yeah obviously that seems to be something that works and then we'll see it'll be interesting to see you know when the packers eventually let rogers go um he's gonna do the same thing brady did brady and and manning both wrote the book on this find a franchise that just needs a quarterback they have a good offensive line a couple weapons on offense and a good defense go sign there and enjoy, enjoy the twilight of your career win a super bowl or two well, absolutely. Just go to a, uh, a ready-built team, and you know, twenty-nine. Uh, you know, almost nearly all GMs in this league will kind of mortgage their future for a chance at the Super Bowl. It's not like other leagues. Um, championships in football are so hard to come by that they'll mortgage their future to get that quarterback that they think, veteran quarterback that they think will take them to the promised land that over the next year or two. So. That, that's definitely in play, probably going to happen. I thought I heard something the other day about Green Bay now wants to retain him for next year. Uh, who knows you know, how I, much traction that has. I think Green Bay always wanted that. I think Rodgers went into this year saying, this is going to be my last year, but Green Bay had the rights for another year. <laughs> and I think Green Bay knew, said, okay, yeah, it'll be your last year. It's not going to be his last year. They have all the leverage. You know, yeah. he, He's not going to sit out, You know, and, and they know that. No, I mean – a bad day playing football for these guys is what two million bucks. Yeah, <laughs> for him, who That's knows it. how much it is? But you know, well, you talked about Green Bay and Pittsburgh. I mean, he's making eyes at Mike Tomlin. You know, that might be a thing. I would love to see Rodgers there with the Steelers. That'd be all right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how close the Steelers are, though. To me, he. I think he has his eyes on you know somebody. It would have to be the perfect situation. In my mind, I don't think he'd go to anybody that's rebuilding. I don't. Well, it's, it's just my opinion. I don't think the Steelers are rebuilding. I have said it for two years now. Big Ben is shot. They, oh, yeah. they have to move off of Big Ben. When I look at that defense, Devin Bush, Minka Fitzpatrick, TJ Watt, uh, Cameron Hayward down. I mean, that, oh my goodness, that's a Joe Hayden. That's a defense. When you look at the offense now, Najee Harris, that guy looks phenomenal. That tight end, Pat, whatever, looks great. Chase Claypool on the outside. I mean, you got – that's a team, man. I mean, you got weapons all around. Maybe. I, I just – I don't know. Maybe it's just I can't envision him in the uniform <laughs> right now. I just – I could not picture him going to Pittsburgh. Maybe I'm wrong. It would be kind of cool, though. It would be pretty fun, though, uh, since Terry Bradshaw just completely called out Aaron Rodgers, just uh, seeing Rodgers go back to – I now, now I think about it, he might do it just to spite Terry Bradshaw. That seems like a Rogers thing to do. <laughs> How cool would that interview be with Bradshaw and Rogers? Because Bradshaw is a bit of an asshole too. Oops, Dude, and Ro yeah, Rogers isn't going to hold back. Bro if oh my god, if Terry Bradshaw interviews or sits next to Rogers, it's going to be a fight. I mean, they're going to go because there's no way Rogers respects Terry Bradshaw anymore after what Bradshaw said about him. So I mean, I don't know. That'd be wild. I think that, I mean, I can't necessarily say that situation, but there's not a lot of respect through the generations, I think, in sports anyway, if you go back and look. I mean, some of the older guys get it, but usually they these guys now don't typically respect, you know, the, the guys from years past, in particular if you're younger. I don't necessarily think that's the situation with Rodgers, but – there most of these situations there's not a lot of respect to begin with so you do something like that chances are you know <laughs> that's the door. yeah it's funny i mean obviously some guys you know because you know manning talks about the history peyton manning talks about the history of the game all the time but you know he grew up with archie and you know who knows i mean so he it's he's, you can see that but i know in basketball specifically i think it seems like players take 
for granted how good they have it. You know, in the 90s, guys were fighting each other for paychecks. That's why rivalries were so intense. That's why everyone got so heated. But now everyone just makes so much money. And it's not like I'm not calling them soft or anything. I'm just saying everyone's making so much money. They're like, why, why would you fight? You know, we can all be happy and make money. It's fine. It, it's a different time. Um, we see these debates in the Facebook rooms and even in the, our own forum from time to time about generations past versus generations now. Uh, LeBron versus Jordan type of thing. People naturally assume that people like my age uh, hate LeBron because we love Jordan and we're just kind of get off the porch. Yeah. Listen, I like Jordan. I think he's the greatest I've ever seen because I got had the pleasure of watching him play. Mm -hmm. You know, from the time I was a little kid all the way up through to till he retired, he was the most fierce competitor I'd ever seen on a basketball court. Obviously, his success speaks for itself. I've also watched LeBron. And I don't, you know, just because I don't like a guy doesn't mean I can't look at him unbiased. The guy is an amazing athlete. But there's a difference between the two. Just like there's a difference between the two generations. Now, if I'm being honest, the game has changed quite a bit um, through all sports, through all generations. But to your point, the guys were hungrier in my opinion, 70s, 80s, you know, 90s, um, because they didn't grow up in that AAU atmosphere. They didn't have, you know, people constantly handing them money and telling them they were gods from the time they were 12 years old on. Um, you know, it's it's just a different culture. And it, that doesn't necessarily make it, you know, softer, but the game is played differently. Um, there is a disconnect there as far as the respect level and the, the, the dedication. Just look at how many times, you know, any given super superstar will change teams these days. Yeah. You know, building a super team, that wasn't a thing back in the day. Uh, the players pretty much dictate the teams now, right? I mean, you get LeBron or one of the other major superstars, you know, they assemble the top two, three, four guys. Um it's just an entirely different generation. Um, and to everybody that's, you know, going to hammer me that LeBron's better than Jordan, fine, whatever. It, it's opinion. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, my, my biggest, the thing I rely on the most there is that I got to watch both of them play. Uh, and that's what my decision is based off of. I'll never say Jordan's the greatest basketball player ever because I never got to watch Wilt. I never got to watch Bill Russell, Oscar Robertson. I don't know how that pans out. I just know Jordan's the greatest I've ever seen. Well, to your point, like, you know, I'm growing up in sports when this whole debate starts, Jordan versus LeBron. And I formed this opinion, I don't know, probably 10 years ago. I was like, I never really watched Jordan play. I never watched Wilt play. I never watched Magic play. I can't compare those guys to a guy that I'm watching play. And then so to me, I, I just came up with my conclusion was, you can say who, you know, any person can say who is the best in a generation. And it's hard to compare across generations. And I think that as time goes on, the games continue to evolve. And I think that if you wanted to say strictly who was the the bet who was the better player, and it doesn't matter if we're talking quarterback, point guard, shortstop, doesn't matter. You have to say that the newer guy, the newer goat, is technically the better player from a skill because the skills have evolved so much because Michael Jordan existed, because Dr. J existed. They they changed the way basketball was played. And LeBron has the benefit of being after that era and studying from them 
and learning their games at a young age and then building upon that. Right? It's just, I guess, natural progression. But that's not me saying LeBron's better than MJ. It's just like if you want to go from a technical standpoint, probably, but that doesn't mean like he's better. I guess if that makes sense. I don't know. It does, but I'd also say there, there's always that outlier too, right? There's always a player that you think would transcend generations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, baseball tries to um, solve this problem, right, with war, which it, to me, I don't know. I, I don't want to get too far into that and off topic. <laughs> but basically war is the measure, the greatness of a player allegedly. Yeah. yeah. So using that, they can compare them across timelines. And obviously, um, you know, Mike Trout's, the the goat of this generation because war says he is i mean he never leads the league in any production category um you know it's just his war is super high and when people tell me he's the greatest of all time without ever winning anything uh, (laughs) who's making that argument who is saying trout's the goat oh it's it's so so polluted throughout oh my goodness but you get you turn it around and you take a look at i happen to be from boston so i'm familiar with these guys ed williams Ted Williams is arguably, in my mind, the greatest hitter to ever live. If it wasn't for two wars and a broken shoulder, he lost in the five years he lost because of those, his stats would just be off the chart. But if you turn around and you look at him, he has the highest, oh, he has a, his career OBP on base plus slugging is higher than any single season any player playing has had in a single season. So this dude's entire career is high is better than any single season any player has currently had anybody playing (laughs) no no matter how good they've been has never had a season as good as ted williams career average for ops that's Mm -hmm. insane yeah that's crazy so it's to your point it is harder to compare people across generations i believe there are transcendent players but just because i believe that doesn't necessarily mean that's fact it's just my own kind of belief. Just the one thing I would add is you also have to, when I'm saying what I'm saying, I'm like, I'm just taking the players as they were because it's not fair to, you know, because if Jordan was was born in whenever LeBron was, if they were born at the same time, Jordan's game would have been different. And to your point in baseball specifically, you know, war, power has a lot to do with war. You know, 15 years ago, if a shortstop hit 30 home runs and played gold level defense, they're MVP. Today there's 15 of those guys, right? Yeah. Like, so if you took like a, you know, Willie Mays, Mantle, Ted Williams, whatever, and you just somehow they're born 50, 60, 70 years later and they're in today's game, their game would have been much more focused on hitting more home runs and, and, and making sure that their war looked good because at the end of the day, that seems to be the stat that the most people care about. Yeah, and I think you might have probably heard MLB came out with something the uh, last week. They want to – pay players according to their war, which obviously didn't go over too huge. Um, baseball what? baseball reference war. Yeah, they, they'd like to create some sort of pay scale based on war. Um, it obviously did not go over huge. But, uh-uh. <laughs> um, you know, my other, my other issue with some of these metrics being used, even in basketball, depending upon which site you're using, there's, def- there's multiple ways to figure these things. So yeah. it's, it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Yeah, the advanced statistics, we're still at the very beginning. I mean, really 20 years ago was the beginning of advanced statistics in sports, but we're still really in the early stages. And, I mean, obviously, you know, because I'm Carlos talks about it, you know, ba- you know, baseball reference and fan graphs use different wars. And he's like, yep. if everyone's going to cite this, you know, we should be using the same thing. And he's not wrong about that. 
No, um, he's right. Yeah. So uh, definitely, yeah, I don't see how you could uh, base a player's contract off of uh, war. That is insane. That's wild. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, to that point, most people don't know war can change three years down the line. It's based on, you know, your peers, your replacements over mm-hmm. a certain time span. So most people don't know if I have, you know, 5.4 war this year, two years from now, that could be a 4.9, depending upon how well the, the, the pool of replacements have played. Right. So it's, we had Bill James working up in the front office for the Boston Red Sox. Obviously, he's the father of sabermetrics. He's the first one to tell you that this stuff should not be used as a definite. It's a great starting point for a lot of things and can be used for a lot of things, but also doesn't represent everything that's gone on in the field of play or the court. Um, you know, so I agree, though. We should be using one sort of uh, constant for all these things, not using multiple sites and multiple evaluations. Yep. All right, Matt. What uh, you got? Anything else you want to share about with uh, for my slabs or anything you want to talk about? Well, I know I promised it a while ago, but we ran into a snag. Um, you know, kind of set, setting the criteria for it, um, getting it all wrapped up legally, and so forth. My slab is going to have a new payment process. They're coming on hopefully in January. Um, uh-huh potentially February, we'll be able to handle any form of payment from all over the world, essentially. Um, and so anybody that's been banned by PayPal or would like to transact above the $60,000 line, I believe the initial limit is $1.5 million. So if you have $1.5 million to play with, those transactions aren't going to be a problem. And we have some really, really interesting options for those high-end transaction guys um we think we're going to be able to beat and by think i mean i know we're going to be able to beat any rate anywhere across the board as far as fees and so forth um and that also goes for the lower end guys that are going to be using this new payment processor as well the fees are going to be very comparable to paypal uh but a ton of security um so we have some stuff coming up for all the you know the my slabs members that we'd like you to stay tuned for we're going to be bringing um safe searches to the site here shortly oh nice uh, with notifications and all that stuff the guys are working on that right now um we also are going to be expanding into another kind of area of sports cards that uh i can't say but people will be excited about um so there will be a lot more buying and selling online on our site stay tuned for that um i'm not i'm just gonna guess because i don't know but i'm gonna guess it might look something like that that's gonna be my guess but we'll see yes we'll we'll see i i speak to you offline so you might be able to Mm -hmm. kind of press that information out of me Um, (laughs) but we should be all inclusive and um we got something coming for the comic book guys too because that section is kind of growing on site as well a lot more sales and a lot more comic book sellers and buyers are coming on board daily. Um, we're hoping to have some of this stuff wrapped up in the next couple of weeks, some of the updates. Um, but really, just after the new year into February, we're hoping to do some groundbreaking stuff for everybody. Um, kind of just expand everybody's horizon, keep more money in everybody's pocket. 
and <laughs> you know, that's always <laughs> um, kind of keep the theme to the company going. You know, honest sports cards, bu- honest sports card buying, selling, trading. That goes for comics too. Oh man, all, all that sounds great. And I, it actually makes sense now too about the PayPal thing because um, I remember I think was it last week you sent out an email saying, "Hey, moving forward, it's going to be required everyone uploads uh, tracking." And I remember thinking that's weird because I'm like, well, everything's handled through PayPal. And I mean, the shipping's through PayPal anyway. So, but that makes a lot of sense now. Dude, so. Well, PayPal will still be on. Um, we're going to just have an alternative. Oh, and, an option. Second option. Okay. Yes. Great. So yeah. everybody that's been, you wouldn't believe how many people have had their accounts removed from PayPal. It's a staggering amount just from the people I know personally over the years. And sometimes it's justified. Uh, too many friends and family payments, too much of mm-hmm. the, the online gambling. Sometimes it's really not. Uh, I have a good friend. Uh, his, I believe, ex-business partner did about $10 million a year through PayPal in auto parts. Never accepted a friends and family payment. It was strictly business. They shut him down out of the blue. No explanation. Um, and it, it really hurt him. So we're looking to be all-inclusive. Um, if you're qualified, you know, if you aren't somebody that's been banned or would not just be allowed, <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're going to try to pull in everybody, get a lot more eyes on cards, um, get everybody a lot more sales, keep more money in your pocket, just keep the thing rolling. All right. Well, I mean, that's a great update, man. A lot of stuff to look forward there to uh, on my slabs. Yeah, absolutely. And sorry, I have to be vague about some of it, but I don't want no, to no, no. We, feeling our ideas. I understand. I know the audience does too. Yeah, we, we 100% get it. We appreciate that. I mean, I didn't expect any like update like that. So, I mean, that's phenomenal. Thanks for sharing. Absolutely. All right. Well, Matt, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on this evening. You've been an absolute joy to talk to as usual. Uh, yeah, I appreciate coming on as always. It was great to talk to you. And, uh, you know, obviously we're huge fans of the show and watch all the other podcasts too. Yeah. All right. Thank you, sir. I hope you have a great and phenomenal evening. Everyone, thank you for being here. I hope you all have a good one.